Everyone, put down that Reddit model. Go hide somewhere in the office. I'm not going to tell your boss. Don't worry about it. So we've got some cool stuff coming up. If you're in industry doing architecture, we're going to talk about AI. We're going to talk about all that cool stuff. Things that you can actually use. I know, right? Not just fit chat GPT. It goes far more than that. All right. Ten seconds. Hello everyone, welcome to this live stream special. I'm Stephen. Hopefully you know who I am, but if you don't, stick around because if you're in architecture, this is going to be a really interesting one for you. Why? We've all heard about ChatGPT. If you're not living in a under a rock, you've probably heard about AI and we're starting to get to grips with it. But how can it be used in the architecture profession? How is it properly used? How can it be brought in? Now, I have some ideas on it, but it's been a long time since I've loaded up a Revit model. I used to use MicroStation. That's how much of a dinosaur it is. <laughs> so it's good to have industry experts that know this sector and know what they're doing. And on that basis, I have the awesome care from Arca Works, who has just set up this awesome business because he <laughs> believes in it so much as well. Keir, welcome to the stage. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It was a really lovely introduction. <laughs> I love what you do, but I've got to put the fan aside. I love embracing the tech. Now, some people in the audience might be thinking about it. Some people mm -hmm. might be sold. Some people might be like, I don't want any more tech. Well, but before we mm -hmm. even go into that here, do you want to tell us briefly a little bit about who you are? Yeah, sure. So I'm an architect. I've come out of practice. I was at Morrison Company. I guess that's the most notable. I was there for the last 10 years, last five as a director cool. and decided to set up my own thing this year. And I've gone pretty deep down the AI rabbit hole from around uh, November, December last year. And yeah. what I'm finding is that there are just more and more things that can be done and interested people and things are moving really quick. It's very exciting. I love it. Yeah. I just think no matter what the business, AI can be really useful, even a little bit just to do the mundane stuff. However, it's mm. always fascinating as yourself. You've built these buildings before. You've got the blood, sweat and tears. And now we're going into this new age. I'm pretty excited to talk about it. I know you've got a presentation as well, which is cool. And we were going to float around <laughs> it as well. But Okay, what would you like to do? Do you want to just talk about it a little bit further or do you want to yeah, kind sure. of show I, people a bit of your goods? Yeah, what? yeah. I think it's interesting that you said you're using it already. A little bit chat GPT. I'm interested to hear what you're doing because my hunch is that there's a lot of covert use of AI in practice. And one of the things that I think will, is a challenge is if it's being used in your practice and you don't know about it, that could be a thing. My thing is you should probably know what you're using and why. So yeah. how are you using it? I try to do it for all the mundane stuff or to springboard an idea. So even this title, that's a bit inception, even the title of this episode, <laughs> I didn't use it all, but AI gave me the initial idea. I was like, oh, I quite like algorithms and aesthetics. That's a cool mm. thing. And it just helped me get past that blank slate. It helped yeah. me 
get ideas. The other thing I do use it for sometimes is mundane data entry, mundane summaries of certain mm -hmm. things. I think it can be useful as well. So sometimes I use it for some YouTube videos I've done to bring out the key points and it will watch that video, bring out the key points. And I'll go, oh, you missed the point there, but yep, that's good. That's good. And therefore it just saves me time on doing yeah. stuff, which would basically I'd need to do, but you're a bit bored yeah. doing it. Is that the same for architecture then? Yeah, I think people want to use it for things that they don't necessarily enjoy doing. I think where it starts to get slightly uncomfortable is where it's starting to be used for things that they do enjoy doing. And right. so the more creative stuff. So, and, and actually stuff, a lot of stuff I look at is how do you use it creatively? So um, when you're doing early stage design work or um, you're developing a design through, how do you actually use it on a project, say? And so... It does step into that realm, but what I find is it doesn't feel like it's taking stuff away. It actually feels like it's adding to your process and making it better. I agree. Now, if anyone in the audience while we're going live does want to ask any questions, you can. Although they need to be, we can't have anything controversial. I don't want to get banned from LinkedIn, but equally, <laughs> we will definitely try to answer any PG-13 questions as they come in maybe what would be cool here because you have put the yeah. effort to do an awesome presentation which is much more effort than i normally do so mm -hmm. it would be cool to see that maybe if i can bring it on the screen quickly and yeah. if it's okay with you you can just give us a little bit about yourself more expanded than the business and your ideas yeah absolutely love to so um yeah this is a presentation i've been i gave in oslo recently for a prop tech event and i'm actually being, I'm coming into practices a lot to talk about how they're going to start to transform the work that they're doing. And this is a useful, this is a bird's eye view of, of how I see things moving. Mm. So this is my working day in November last year. This is the work I was doing at Morrison Company. So I was director on some pretty major projects, delivering offices, big housing, health centers, education buildings, all kinds of stuff. And then I'd like to say that some, there felt like a meteor hit me and the next day, which was ChatGPT released its first uh, version. and this was a really big moment and it's hard to imagine it's still less than a year um, yeah. since that happened. Um, but because so much has, has developed since then. And we were also testing a product called Delve, which is the icon on the right. That's a generative master planning tool, which was made by Google. Wow. And um, yeah, so I was doing these two things at the same time. I put them both together and I couldn't, I felt I couldn't, every time I was going back to projects, I was just seeing things slightly differently, like imagining straight away, how would this happen in the future? And this is a little, this was a photo I took when we were testing Delve in the office. When you give it all of your parameters, it starts to run the algorithm and it unironically says, we're looking for the perfect designs, estimated time, five minutes. And I, I think this is an interesting insight to how computer science may look at the sector of architecture, a sector which has never been something that they could target as a market because it's knowledge worker dominated, something that it's full of intangibles and qualitative thinking. So how on earth could a computer do it? But what I think we've done a lot of in the last few years is we've turned quality into metrics and KPIs and different quantities. And actually what that does is it's, it, it starts to create a sort of more algorithmic approach to overcoming site constraints. And so that's why tech companies think that they can provide great solutions. Mm -hmm. So this is how I like to think about the future. I think there's sort of two routes there's anyone being able to pick up an AI tool and use it for architecture, which I don't like the sound of, or there's actually really well-trained designers and placemakers using AI 
to enhance the work that they do. And I think unless we get on board and start doing this stuff, we're going to be in the first category. And that I find that quite a sort of depressing outcome potentially. And I think if you've got really high, highly skilled people picking up these amazing tools and augmenting what they already do, that's like a superpower. That There's no comparison, okay, between the two. The designer, the, the person with good judgment is always going to do better. So that's really what the mission is of, of Arca Works is to augment practice, improve the work of architects. And I do that. We do that. It's, it's just me at the moment. I'm in my second month. Uh, I work with architecture practices. I do a lot of that. And that's probably because I've come from architecture. And so I know quite a lot of architects. But I'm also working with tech startups. So there's a couple that I've got relationships with that I'll talk about today. And one of which I'm working for in a lot of detail called Preoptima, which is carbon estimation using generative tools. And also start, starting now to talk to clients as well. Who There's a real hunger from clients to actually pick these tools up and do early stage business planning and viability with them. So ArcaWorks is sitting in the middle of the stool, the three legs of the stool, and, and trying to pick up learnings from one realm and transfer them across and trying to innovate on projects live, essentially. And so the things that we're doing is transformation planning. I do a lot of workshops with practices. If people have actual projects that they want to bring in expertise on, I can combine the tools that these new tools that maybe people are less familiar with actual project experience too. So I can have a sense of what is and isn't useful and doing applied R&D essentially. So some people have been wanting to get in touch to talk about ideas that they've had that they want to build, they want to go for funding for. That's something we, we do with people too. And it's, it's a creative consultancy. It's not, it's what's super interesting about this realm is it's computer science, but it's actually really creative. And you've got this, it's quite intuitive, the skill set that you need. So these are all some of the experiments that I do. And I try and just share my learnings and everything that I do publicly. And I'm, I'm, I'm very open. If people ask me how I've done stuff, I, I will explain. And I'm happy to come to practices and talk about it. It's not, I'm not keeping it within the castle walls, as it were, and trying to turn it into my own proprietary stuff is totally open. So these are some of the, a lot of the stuff I use is things I'm very interested in mid-journey as a tool of kind of bringing references from random places and splicing them together. I'm also using stable diffusion a lot for rendering straight from very early stage line work and massing. And this is a, so I'm doing things from like material palettes up to master planning at the moment. So this is a project that I've been doing with May actually. So this was a sort of applied R&D example where working with them on a master plan, which I'll show in more detail. And then there's this, I won't go too into detail because it gets a bit tacky, but essentially we mix the terms, right? So everyone talks about gen a generative AI or AI and they mean everything, but actually that's actually quite, that's a different niche. So generative AI is more, is more qualitative and creative. Generative design is more about parametricism and deterministic controls and things that you've known about for a couple of decades, essentially. Mm. So these are all the tools that, uh, that I've, there are hundreds of tools coming to be honest but these are the ones that i think are relevant and useful and and I, with many of these i'm able to talk directly to the founding team and the development team and find out what's coming what why they're building what they're building um and and have a sense of their roadmap as well um so it's and and they're giving me a lot of early access to beta testing and things like that so i can actually get under the hood and find out what they can do this is a bit of fun but tell me if you think i'm wrong so this is my take on the profession, which is that all architects on this sort of bell curve distribution, 
and it runs from analog processes to digital. And some of some architects are really digitally led and some are analog led. So I guess at Morrison Company, in my work there, we, I was always trying to bridge between like handmade craft. We made a lot of models. We we're very haptic designers. We were thinking always about materiality and trying to represent space through models and things like that. Um, but we we're also Revit first on everything. So all of our projects were, we did a lot of BIM level two stuff. So we were quite digital. So we were in the middle. And the way I see it is that the artisans live at the extremes. So you have like handmade craft led artisans like Peter Zumter, an architect I love, sitting right at the analog end of extreme. And then on the digital extreme, you have digital artisans. So those are people who don't just do digital. It's, it's, it is, it's a digital led process. It's very much digital native you're using grasshopper from right from the beginning and you're rendering everything and there might not be all that much touchy-feely making stuff happening um mm. and the reason why I, I show this chart is i think the in terms of disruption i i think the artisan business model is probably quite robust you've got you've got usually quite like big name practices that they're, they're mm. reputable they're famous they probably got books written about them clients are going to want to hire them for bit for for pivotal projects i don't think that business model really changes that much because that's always going to be a need so there there might be some minor change there but i don't think much where i see big changes is in bulk the middle of the market as it were which is where the demands in the middle are very different. The clients in the middle, and this is speaking from my own experience, they care a lot about standardization. They care a lot about design work that sells, either in rental form, if it's a building, a speculative office building, or housing that's going to be sold, or even affordable housing. It's still focused on building stuff that, that is interest that, that will appeal to the market, as it were. And it has to be like tightly cost-controlled, and it has to be readily buildable. And all those things are really well suited to this new technology. And, and the reason I say that is I think architects need to be really clear about where our potential vulnerabilities are mm. and why that means why we're potentially ripe for disruption. We'll all have heard these things. I think these are some of the bad things that clients say about architects. They say that we applied a, a bespoke approach to every site. Now, this is almost something you would wear as a badge of honor at architecture school. And I always felt like this is no site is the same. But for a client, that's annoying because actually, they just want—they don't want—they don't want a sort of a handmade watch every time. Then this idea that our fees go up when the price of something goes up—that's that if a brief is changed late, it's costly and it takes a long time. That we have quite laggy data, so it might take us three months to get you an answer on the best embodied carbon optimal approach for a retention scheme or something. Those are all things that frustrate clients, and they're all things that that in the future generative models and, and platforms will be able to do really well and actually go one step further which is to take to look at myself as oh. a sort of egocentric architect so, egocentric architect my goodness yeah. come on then. <laughs> let's see what you got to say about yourself so I, I think this might be something we all suffer from a little bit but I, I always say we kind of design with our monograph in our heads i think so there's always a sense of this magnum opus that's building over the over every project which is great but at the same time how is that serving the client on their project do they even care about mm. your sort of portfolio how are you arriving at your design solution sometimes it's quite esoteric we, we might build like 50 models of something and th and that's something that feels like it's the right way to approach something for me that's how my brain works but sometimes that doesn't feel like a good fit for clients and then i guess we're stubborn about ideas and sometimes we're not building designing to cost perfectly and 
we use like phraseology that's a bit obtuse, like archi speak. These are all yeah. things that, that, that mean that maybe when a client asks for something, it's not exactly heard. So these are all things we have to be, I think we need to be self-reflective about that and, and understand that those are in some ways their strengths, but they are in some ways weaknesses. And then I'm just going to give you a quick look at where I see current use of cases, right? So it, on the practice, I think about all workers like either sitting on the practice or the project side. On the practice side, these are things that I'm doing right now with these tools. So using them to write really good bid responses on fine-tuned large language models to do report reviews, reading really long reports and getting quick summaries before meetings. It's very good for that. You mentioned marketing collateral. That's like very good. Taking long form yeah. content, turning it into short form, doing like marketing plans for things, processing data, the new models, the new model of GPT can ingest Excel sheets and really good quite data from different sources and actually oh, wow. put it together into a single data frame, which is very cool. And you can write code as well. One of the things I do is I'll produce tables and things in ChatGPT and then actually send them back to Excel or you can send them to different platforms using JavaScript. So there's this, the, the things you can do with every model release of increasing. And then on the project side, these are things I'm doing. So it, anything that's prototypical, like housing or office, it's very good for plan generation. You can do generative massing with it, environmental analysis, areas, materials, takeoff, rendering, image editing. And even just use it as a creative partner sometimes. Uh, I think it's quite can be quite good for that. And then there's all these future things coming, intranet, smart intranets within every organization where all the mm. policy documents have been ingested and you just query them with natural language. Fee estimation, you could provi provide all of your historical fees and you could generate fees very quickly. Very good for QMS, reviewing documents. There's all kinds of, yeah, building compliance is something that's that'll be coming through with the Building Safety Act. Yeah, the list goes on. There's almost, it'd be quicker to write a list of areas that won't be touched by this, these technologies, in my opinion. How does this all look on a project? This is a project I did with May. Like I said, it was a live sort of research project. And this was, we did some options for 1500 home master plan, massing layouts, areas, environmental analysis, and carbon footprint. We did it all in about 10 days together. So for this, we were using a massing tool, a generative massing tool called Spacio. And this tool is, I think of it like generative SketchUp. It's rather than drawing lines and walls, you're drawing whole buildings at a time. And then you're pushing and pulling whole buildings and whole facades. And the, the buildings that you're producing have been pre-programmed. You, you program them to the criteria that you want. And then you oh, experiment wow. with those things. So it's, it's very good for anything like residential, essentially, that's, that's prototypical. Um, and... Uh, it's maintaining a perfect uh, a perfect record of areas as you go. So that's something I've always struggled with uh, on on large master planning, um, and I think it does a it does a really good job of that. So this is the kind of level of detail that I might get for a massing option. Um, this was the third option we ran, and this is just a screenshot raw out of Spacio. So it's a quite communist looking, just a grid. I've set the grid, I've set the sill heights, I've set the cores, and so on. And I took that and then I actually drew straight on top of it. So often I try and intersperse the generative processes with handmade, hand, hand work or hand, hand sketch work. Mm. So this is sketched on top. And then this becomes a control net for my render. So the next image is a render that I've produced from that control net. So this is using stable diffusion. And I'm here I'm able to experiment with things like public realm, defensible space, materiality of facades, blending facades in different places, character zoning, all kinds of stuff I can play with. 
different types of materiality. So I'm, and I'm doing all that straight from that sketch that I just showed. So there's a really interesting hybrid approach here, which is sort of very digital, but also very handmade as well. Beautiful. Further was, uh, this is a tool called Parallelo. It's built for automated residential plans. This is planning apartments and they are compliant. They're actually, it's a Norwegian tool. So they're compliant in Norway, but not the UK yet. And this is very good for maintaining really good areas for a project. So you can just turn the dial if you want more two beds or one beds, you just turn the dial and it will recalculate your plan. So it, it, the idea is it's giving you not a blank page at the end. Just start when you take this into your into Revit or into CAD or into or hand drawing and you start designing on top, you're dry, you're, you're starting from prototypical plans that give you 50% or 60% of the progress that you would have mm -hmm. made, that you would have needed. And then you take it from there. So this wouldn't be, this is, you wouldn't use this for a, a very bespoke project, but something that needs repetition and has types, it's very good. Mm. Um, this is environmental analysis. So the same, same project is taking it now into, I think, project, a product called Forma. And here I'm running daylight assessment, sunlight potential assessments live on that model. And I'm getting really quick feedback that certain things don't work and I need to adjust my design. I'm getting quick feedback on wind discomfort risk. This is so this is an AI that's been trained on wind studies. And that's a process that it's a CFD analysis that takes hours, maybe even days. And usually you do it at the planning. You usually do it at the end of stage two or three. But here you can do it at stage zero or one when you've really just got some massing. And so you can actually design with it and actually change your design. So it's a very different way of working. You make good decisions up front so that when you run your CFD analysis with an engineer or a sunlight potential analysis, you actually pass and you don't have to post-rationalize why you failed or why you didn't get a great score, which arguably is how we currently do things. This is a tool called Preoptima, which is, this is a company I'm working with. So it's a UK based startup. Preoptima are focused on carbon estimation and LCA at very early stages. So you go straight from a 3D model and the algorithm runs an engineering analysis on the building form, and it works out how many columns, floors, uh, beams, substructure, and it, it sizes all of those elements in a way that's conservative so that when an engineer comes along and does a finite study, you're going to probably end up with less material because they'll engineer it uh, in a more refined way. But straight off the bat, you can test like three different configurations on carbon and say, this is a more, this is a good sort of uh, carbon option. Uh, based on building form, uh, which has a huge impact on embodied carbon. So the same 10,000 square meters in a different shape will have a completely different embodied carbon, even though it's technically the same amount of building. So we're trying to make LCA very simple just by applying systems and assemblies that would be typical early on in a project, getting your LCA running. Mm -hmm. So I guess the conclusion of this whole thing is we've gone from this sort of linear process where you have these discrete gateways and I, each step is like a fire engineer or a client or a QS, someone that can say something's wrong, go back and you get, you go back two steps and then you get stuck in this infinite loop of testing and pain. And, and so the way I see it, this is my, and I'm quite, I'm, op I'm optimistic about all this stuff is that you could take out a lot of that complexity and you can just work in sprints. So you bring everyone into a huddle, you design really fast. And you get, you validate your idea very quickly. So you don't have to go through these like really arduous, painful steps in order to validate that your idea was good in the first place. So it's a different kind of way of working. Wow.
Is that the end? Oh, that's, that's the conclusion. It. Well that's done. That's the conclusion. That was good. I was engrossed. I was like, and then? <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, that's it. And I'm what like, okay. <laughs> yeah. we got to see where it goes from here. That's the thing. I'll, I'll be honest, Keir. When you put that spreadsheet, not that spreadsheet, but like the chart showing all the different brands and names that are in these spaces, yeah. it's actually quite a lot, isn't it? Because I know Modulus and I know Cope really well, but there's so many others as well. A quick question on that. Do you think all of them have a purpose or do you think a few of these pieces of software are competing to be the de facto one, like Midjourney and Dali? Uh, what, what, what's your thoughts on all these different offerings? Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit, so I, when I've talked about this before, people say, this is a bit complicated. You're using five different things rather than one. Yeah. There's, so there's different kind of approaches. So the, I, the, the version I like is that maybe the future is less centralized. You, rather than having Autodesk, say, produce Revit and AutoCAD, and you live completely within that ecosystem, yeah. you actually can pick up tools that are more purpose-built and specific and then yeah. use them for what they're good for. Now, I mentioned Autodesk. They've got the project, the product called Platformer, which I just showed. Yeah. That is intended as a platform where other people connect, right? So all right. Of, a, lot of the, a lot of the earlier uh, products I showed the, the intention is that they will connect into Forma and you will access them through one interface. Right. So that's quite interesting. So they're making a play for, we're going to be the platform for this new realm and everyone yep. can come and play in our playground and you can connect things up easily for people there. For example, TestFit's got a really good car park planning tool, which isn't a big thing in the UK because we try and take cars out of projects, but in, the, in America, it's a big deal. And you can access that car parking tool from within that platform Got so it. so i but i as much as possible i think it would be very healthy to move towards lots of independent specialized pro, uh, companies and, and products coming through that get really good in one niche and yeah. then i think you'll find that they'll get really good at one thing and then they'll start to spread out and they'll yeah. start to try and do more and more Thanks. and that would be very interesting makes sense it does feel very autodesk-esque to try and build the marketplace for this stuff autodesk if you sponsor me in the future i will take out that comment <laughs> not that it was negative but i will definitely be i will be i'm up for being in your marketplace and i'll tell you where my bank details are <laughs> i'm joking but it's, i agree i think we need a lot of different things to spark innovation in this space it's like when vr started in video mm -hmm. games and stuff you, it was all actually the little indie games that pushed the platform and then yes. you get one big title or two, but that's where the innovation came from. And yeah. I think really important. Me and you talked earlier before coming on here a little bit mm. about NFTs. Now, Kim, let's mm. pretend I'm cynical now, right? I'm actually an optimist as well, but let's role play a second, right? <laughs> NFTs with the big thing and the metaverse. I was almost driving people insane last year, Kim, but talking about the metaverse too much, right? I thought it was important. But what I mean is, that came now. Me and you said we believe it's going to come back. However, it went quieter. Some yeah. people were saying AI is a bit of a fad. I'm not interested. What's mm. your raw thoughts on that? How would you answer back to that question if someone is saying, what a waste of time or it's all going to blow over kind of thing? Um, I would say, was the internet a waste of time? <laughs> was, uh, was personal computer a waste of time? <laughs> I think, and I, and also, by the way, Sorry. I do think I got a role play. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay, go on, go on. Um, 
No, I, I can see that. And look, it is a bubble for sure. There's definitely yeah. a sense of euphoria around it and a sense of like hype and froth for sure. And you can see that reflected in like Nvidia stock and all of the other things happening in the markets around it. And all yeah. of the tech companies trying to nudge each other out of the way. And everyone's got their acquisition. So all the big tech companies have all ac acquired some major sort of AI company like Amazon just bought a big stake in Anthropic. Microsoft have open AI. So that they're, they're all trying to own that space. So yeah, I think there's definitely a, a there's like a, a bubble element to it. But I think you could probably say that about any transformational yeah. change is that it starts with enthusiasm and it starts with kind of crazy hype and optimism. And then you have the inflated peak of expectations and the trough of disillusionment and the whole hype curve will play out. So no doubt in a year or I don't know how long it will take, maybe six months will be in the trough of disillusionment and then we'll pull it it'll pull, be pulled out from that. But I think if you zoom out for, from 10 years, I think in 10 years, things are going to look extremely different. Yeah, I think most people, I, I think there's a lot of consensus about that. I don't, and I don't think most people would put AI in the same bucket as NFTs, much as I like actually the technology around NFTs, by the way. It, I, yeah, I think it's a platform shift. So it's huge. It's, it's similar to changing the, the, how the work changed after, after we invented personal computing in my mind. I see like it as, CAD to BIM and there was a few businesses that were reluctant to go to BIM and and we are being pulled that way. I do think AI is going to have a big part of it. The only thing I would add to what you say is where I do think people, I can understand some people being jaded is that I see a lot of tools aimed at businesses which claim to be AI are the genuinely not AI. So there's, I think that there yep. is the AI marketing bubble. Like, oh, we've got a chatbot, which is AI. And I'm like, dude, I know you're just pulling in <laughs> chat GPT 3.5 or whatever and rebranded it. Or before mm. that, they used to, in different fields, be like, we have a new AI tool. And I'm like, that's not AI. But mm. I do think that there is proper AI tools now. And what you're, yeah. You spent a bit of time earlier talking about the real ones. Is that fair? Do you see some people trying to get on the AI bandwagon without AI or with yeah, real so tools? I think that's why I have that 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 chart, which was yeah. the, the whole spectrum, because I think there's, uh, yeah, people, things are being labeled as AI that aren't really, but they are still really useful and they are still generative. They're just using a predetermined set of criteria to get a known outcome, so deterministic. And that's generative design. It's so it sounds like a semantic issue, but it's important because when you're using something, you need to know how it's working. And also you might believe certain things are possible that aren't possible. So I think people have assumed that you can generate things, that you can generate plans or or, or CAD details using AI. That's actually very hard to do. There is some really interesting research on plan generation. Uh, I think as a, uh, a project called Archigan that was done learning basically mo training models on architecture plans and, and generating things but it's very hard to take that and then go build buildable plans that are measured and have like vector lines and finite qu uh, quantities in them and actually when you think of it when you have it when you understand that it's a bit less scary because really what's happened in my mind on the generative design stuff is you've got i can't grasshopper is really difficult so your average architect isn't going to be using grasshopper but these yeah. tools have put a wrapper on them that basically mean that you can now get the sort of benefits of a grasshopper-like approach in practice. It's not super tailored and bespoke, but you can get some of the benefits and you can use, you can then use generative. It's a generative sort of leverage that you add to your process. Mm. That's the shift. So you've, 
they've gone from being like R&D inside top architecture practices to you can buy a product or use a product that's put a really clean wrapper on it and you can access it through your browser and it's really easy. That's, so that's, and that's really, it feels to me like the last, basically since November, that's, that all, that stuff has all happened. So the generative stuff has been around for a while and now it's getting bundled in with AI. And I think about it like two hemispheres of, of a brain that, that one is creative and one's rational. Yeah. And actually, if you can use them together, it's a brain and it's really great. But use one on their own, one on its own isn't necessarily as interesting. It's fair. It is. That is a good way to look at it. I hadn't thought of it like that before. Now, now we are going to mention in a bit where architecture practices can get in contact with you because I do think it's important that you have people like yourselves authorities in the sector or are researching and doing all this stuff just before we go with that though i have two kind of questions on that but number one okay mm. for maybe not the business owner or anything say now there's someone who's an architect in practice maybe they're a part two is enthusiastic yeah. about this stuff or an architect where would you encourage them to begin the journey in ai so that because you've done all this stuff so just to avoid a few mistakes or where to look do you have any quick pointers to put the working professional in the right direction. Maybe. There's some good, there's some good stuff online by Neil Leach is a good authority. Uh, like he's a, an academic working in the mm. space. The Archigan project was done by, I'm going to say his name wrong, Stanislas Chiliu, I think is how you pronounce it. He's a founder at Rayon, I think now, but he's just released a book, which is very good. So that's what would be, would be a good place to start to get the sort of history yeah. And one of the things I do, so one, as so I go and do workshops for practice, part of the workshop is just how has this technology come about? Why is it happening now? Mm, and why is it good. different? And I think that's part of what they, those people have done to help progress the agenda. Then there's just really, there are some really great, I have to say like yourself, Stephen, I'm all over LinkedIn. It's a very good platform for idea sharing. And yeah. what I find is when you start putting out interest on certain things come back. So people will reach out to you that are working in the space and you'll find things out that way uh or you can just i get a lot of my ideas just from idea, things that people share openly on that there's some really good people if you're into mid journey or you're into stable diffusion or you're into generative tools like spas you, you can join communities that that are the sort of early adopters of those things and you learn an awful lot from that and i and i try and do the same thing so if i learn something new i just put it out there or i'm, I'm happy to answer it i think there's a generosity there like most of the people that I follow, so there's a, a guy called Omar from Design. I'm gonna get I'm gonna get this thing wrong. Design input, design .input. He's got great instruction on stable diffusion. Uh, yeah, there's there's Ismail. I'm gonna say his surname wrong. Siliet, I think he's now gone to Foster's, but he puts a lot of stuff out there. So there's some really great voices that, that people should follow. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. That's that is really useful. No, the other last question for me, I was going to say before we, we, you should tell everyone all the cool stuff that you're up to and where they can find them <laughs> is if you were a student now with the knowledge mm. that you have, if you were a student in this kind of point with all the stuff going on, part one or part two, what's your mm. raw thoughts on that? Is there, would you bring that into your projects or would you, or where would you begin on that front? Because we're I not talking about physical constraints. I think that is actually quite hard because I think. It's all well and good using this stuff after you've done it the traditional way. Yeah. But I think there's a slight, there's a potential for unlearning if you don't do the hard work of learning how something actually should work in the first place. Yeah. So true. I, 
and and I think you also need that to give yourself perspective and judgment on good and bad. So I do think people should, I think students should be learning about it, but I think they should be very wary about using it. They should, everyone should be very thoughtful about the way they deploy it, right? I don't, for me, design is not prompting and getting an image of a building. That's just not design. If you're, if there's some sort of collage process where you're providing a very speculative input and you're really leading that tool along, I think it could be a co-pilot to help you in that process. But you, what the risky territory is, I've got a good, good idea and I let Midjourney show me what it looks like and then and, that's uh, my design and I turn it into 3D model. I think that's slightly problematic because you're just, you're, that's just an aesthetic. That's just in a veneer sort of like image deep view of architecture. And correct. obviously it's not that. It's architecture is a, a very holistic synthesis of space, societal needs, structure, yeah, all kinds of real world constraints. So I would really encourage them to make sure they do the hard work of learning to be architects. And then once they feel like they've done that, to, to then use that knowledge to, to move into this space. Yeah, I, but, I think you're right. Any freshers who would rock up to university on their first week or two and think that they can put a chat GPT image on the wall and get away with, with, with your tutor when you hang over, it ain't gonna work. <laughs> I agree. I think, it's... I, I, what I would say is, I think stable diffusion is a really because it's working from sketches and drawings, and it's not yeah, generating designs. Then fine, use that, go for it. But and that's actually really hard. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't. If I were a tutor, I'd be quite intrigued by that. But I, if people were giving me mid-journey designs, I'd be a bit eyebrow raised about it. Yeah. Fair. Fair enough. That makes sense. While we were talking, Red Mike says, Kier, what's the name of the book from Stanislav Something? Stanislav can, something. You, <laughs> can you please post the link in the chat? You I know got what? It. Hang on. We, Hang on. I got we'll it. I'm we'll get them it. all after. Oh, he's going to get the book. I'm do you want to do it after or before? <laughs> Red Mike. Kier's running around. Look at his apartment. Isn't it nice? Look at mine. Look at mine. Let's move up in the world. Here you go. There it is. There it Have is. Red Mike. It's Stanislav. Chaliu, Chaliu, terrible pronunciation. I think he's French. No, very lovely. Red, Red Mike, I've met him in person. He's a really cool guy. Red Mike, get the book. Here, thanks for running around that. While you were going in the background, I did say how much I like your apartment. Yeah, again, I'll stop gushing over your house. Um, now, let's bring it back to what you do. You did mention in the presentation what you do. I like your stuff. You've got all that experience behind you. You've got a new venture. And so I'm going to bring it up, but tell people where they can find all your stuff. Thanks very much. Yeah, so you can find my website is arka.works. That's A-R-K-A dot works. And yeah, it's all there pretty much. I put I write a lot, uh, so that's all up there. I'm writing for various publications, but I try and post all of my writing here so you can find it. And yeah, so there's lots of research that's been shared here, things that I'm looking at. And links to all the other social media things that I try not to look at on my phone because I'm totally addicted to them. I'm, I guess my main thing is LinkedIn. I'm, I think LinkedIn is, is the best for professional work and incredibly good for this new space. I am all over it. Yeah, I, it's the place to be. Me and you both. And for, <laughs> I'm like better called Saul in one way about <laughs> the, the grease ball angle, but I'm all shouting about careers and jobs yeah. and all this stuff. We need people 
champion in AI. And I think it is important, like you say, to have people in the industry like you who are doing it, leading from the front and adjusting, isn't it? And making mistakes and going, you yeah. know what? That was amazing for this. And now we got this new thing out and this is what's happening. And now Autodesk has come in. I gotta mm. be careful what I say. All this <laughs> stuff, right? So it's gonna change the space. Yeah. I really appreciate you sharing this. Now, Kia, last thing before you go, it's only fair if I'm asking all these questions, you get to wallop one or two things at me. Have you got any loaded bullets or guns you want to chuck my way? I'm not sure if it's, I don't know if it's a tough question. I don't know how hard you're going to find it. Okay. I'm interested in, obviously you're working a lot with people on their CVs and looking for career development. Yeah. And I'm interested to know if you're seeing any demand for these tools, for use skills in these tools or training. Because I've had people ask me, for example, can I get a training certificate like from you? Can I do training with you and can I get a certificate? And I'm not a school, yeah, yeah. I'm not a university or anything. I'm interested to know what people are saying about it on this from a CV perspective. Wow, good point. So years ago, there used to be Revit testing, which used to be knowledge marks and stuff like that. And if you had done a test on it, you got a decent score. It could improve your chances with getting a job because a recruiter like me in the past or someone else, you go to an employer who doesn't understand Revit. Chances are the director doesn't really use Revit. They just know they need it in the business. And you go, here's my certificate where I got 83%. They go, wow. Come on in, Steve, you're going to do it. There is something in that certificate thing and architecture is a culture. We love yes. certificates. We get CPD to get a certificate, all this stuff. So I do think this space there, the interesting bit yeah. where I'm quite controversial on is I've never been a huge fan of covering letters because I think that they oh. hemorrhage time. Yeah. And I think if there ever was an opportunity to use AI in the job seeking process, the <laughs> covering letter is the one in my opinion which like is, does it meet pri certain criteria and then you just don't read it <laughs> yeah it's i don't know if everyone reads a covering letter they can spend a lot of time you can spend ages customizing it some architecture practices will love them they will read them they yep. will go through it others yep. it's in the bin yeah. they just look at the email they look at the cv and the portfolio yeah. and so my, what i always say is that i think that covering letter is a good place for you to utilize ai or do different interpretations you still write your covering letter per se but if there was anything to go through it that is the one do i see okay. ai doing cvs and portfolios no i think that basically a cv and portfolio is the most important document an architect can have and in mm. theory arca works is an extrapolation of a cv because it's a business isn't it so it's manifesting in a digital and physical form but yeah. people should treat their cv and portfolios like their own businesses and yeah. it ain't going to really cut it there but a covering letter should be a fluent summary of your experience and what you've done which is mm. a good place to utilize ai to direct that okay. kind of thing I, that's interesting. So I, yeah, I actually used to do it. Like I would be, I'd be looking at all the emails at Morris. I was often doing recruitment. Were and, you in uh, the inbox? Okay. I tell us about inbox, what you yeah. would be. How would you go about it as the person? <laughs> You're looking for a certain criteria, obviously, but so, so we would filter by, we'd put everyone into little folders of, okay, there's what grade are they at basically. And awesome. what we're looking for. Could be good. And then I, I'd have a, so then that we'd have like a pre-filter, which would be I think we had 10 questions or something. It was like, do they meet all these criteria? And that's just to get into the shortlist that I will actually look at. So then I would wow. look at, I would open the emails if, and what I want is covering letter CV 
sorry, covering lateral in portfolio as two attachments. I get confused if there's more than two. And I don't want links. I hate links to other websites. I hate Link, downloading links. Links are bad. Some, hate, some people don't click links. No, big, and no one also, wants to download a 100 no, meg file from a Dropbox no, folder. It's got to right? be, everything has to be under 10 meg total, right? Because it's got yeah. to take me no longer than about five seconds to, to open it. If it is longer, I will literally just move on to the next one, unfortunately. Because the, the, the quantity is so high, yeah. So that's the thing. And then in the covering letter, assuming you get to that point, you open the covering letter and there's often clangers in there. Dear Zaha Hadid Architects, it's any yeah. Morrison company. That's yeah. no good. Yeah. Um, Dear sir, madam, <laughs> come on. Can you look at someone's name here? You know? Yeah, true. And then there needs to be some effort. To, so often I, I would look at something, I'd be like, you've applied to the wrong practice. I don't know why this clearly doesn't fit. Like you're into something very different than what we do. So that would be immediately just move on to the next one. Unedited portfolios, if they're too long, like that's too not long. a good sign. You've got, you've got to be that you want, you, they should have a sense of getting the information in the right order and it being digestible. And if they, if there's no editing, then that's not a great sign. I agree. You, these are the stuff that I've said, I'm glad you pointed out one thing as well, that the reality is you're busy. People who are looking at CVs are busy. They will look for key things. And if you, if they don't see what they're looking for straight away, it's on to the next. It's sad, but true. I that use the analogy. Yeah. Sometimes it's a bit like Tinder. <laughs> and, and of course I don't, but where I mean is that you've got that moment to impress. And I think, you know, yeah, if, you might have only 30 seconds, honestly, or 60 seconds. Yes, people aren't spending 10 minutes on CVs unless you're like second stage interviews. Do we hire this person? Should I go through it like a tooth comb? They're yeah. marinating, umming and ahhing about it. Then it will go in details. And, mm. But it's initially it's, okay, who are they? What architectural assistant, Revit, beautiful pictures. Okay, let's do a bit more on this. And like mm. you said, then you go, then it gets to the next level, the next level. And then you're mm. right someone's made a decision in about two minutes if they're inviting you in or not yeah I, exactly i don't think ai is going to replace that process though not yet no but i could certainly imagine it reading cvs and stuff and doing the pre-filter thing that i described very easily to be honest yeah that, so, that's it existed for a long time i haven't and used that before i didn't know that existed no it's more for big companies like amazon and okay, stuff yeah. but where i think as architects it's going to be very difficult is those is what's called text passing and looking at different yeah. keywords and stuff. Yeah. It's a bit more nuanced in architecture. It's very visual. If you, if you scan the portfolio and just got the text out, it might not even make blooming sense because it's all the images, all this stuff. So yeah. and I think it's going to like random language that doesn't make sense. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> we've made it difficult for Amazon's yeah. text passing system, customer mm. service person, working or someone working in the amazon warehouse it will take that cv and it will work out if the person's right for the job it's just architecture we haven't got there just yet yeah sure there you go on that note <laughs> if you want to talk about boring recruitment stuff i'm your person however <laughs> if you want to talk about interesting where ai is moving in architecture practice Kier is your gentleman once again Kier, where can people Thanks, find Stephen. you again yeah, just ArcaWorks, Arca.works, or usually LinkedIn. You can you'll find me there in as among other places, LinkedIn, I'd say. Excellent. All right. Thank you so much, Keith <laughs> Kier. I appreciate you being here. Stay in the stage Pleasure. one second while I say goodbye to the audience right. because you know what? We've got more content coming. I don't know what it is yet because <laughs> I haven't scheduled it, but I remember looking and thinking, oh, a few cool people have come in.
not quite as cool as Kira. Maybe on, on the same level. <laughs> I can't have favorites. I'm the guest. I'm, it's a privilege everyone's here. But thank you for tuning in. More content coming soon. And um, see you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Take care.